The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Today on episode 22, we have Matt Greiner, the drummer of August Burns Red. And uh, Matt was homeschooled, and uh, Matt has all kinds of things going on in his life. He lends himself to a number of different places. We'll hear about a couple of those in just a few seconds. Uh, But Matt, what exactly has led you to uh, to this point now where where you want to be so outspoken about your faith? This has been something that's been uh, your whole Christian life? Uh, no. <laughs> no. See, the thing is, I used to have a speech impediment. Oh. I used to stutter profusely. And so for me to be, to be able to talk about anything at all, even if it was like, you know, what are you doing this afternoon? And I wanted to say, riding my BMX bike... I would struggle with just that response. So it wasn't until I was 19 and on tour across the country on a tour with a band called Terror and Bury Your Dead and Scars of Tomorrow. It was a four-band bill, and we were first. Mm. We were the first. I think we were the opener. And I, two things happened. It's funny. I was actually talking to a friend about this last night, and they said, what helped you get over your, your speech impediment? I said, well, I think two things. One, confidence. People telling me, wow, you're a good drummer, and I really like what you're doing in this part and this part. Tell me about it. And then number two, um, being forced to be able to have conversations with people in the moment without any preparation. So <laughs> the singer of Terror is named Scott Vogel. He very much so intimidated me, and he would always ask me questions about my faith and outside of faith, you know, other things. And because I was intimidated by him, you, you would think that I would have struggled to have a conversation with him. And I, I, just, I just remember thinking, you know what, I have to work through this quickly and I have to just, you know, pull my shoulders back, put my chin up and just face my fear. Hmm. That was bolstered by the fact that I was getting some confidence from what I was doing, some affirmation from other people. And so I guess I kind of grew into... This, um, I grew into who I am today, which is obvious, but it, in a more invisible way than, than what people think. For a long time, I would have I struggled with having a conversation with someone. Mm. I play drums. I sit behind a drum kit. <laughs> no one has to see me. No one has to talk to me. I don't have to use a microphone. And I was born and raised in a Christian home, so it was real to me in in some way, but it was never really tested. Mm. When I got into a band and started touring, I I had to measure what I knew about God and my faith against what I was seeing happen out in the real world, outside of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is sort of a bubble. (laughs) And I had to test it. It was tested. And I came away with some new conclusions about my faith, and then also alongside of that, some just uh, reinforced, you know, ideas about my faith that I was taught as a kid. 
And I guess the culmination of that is, well, now I can speak. I feel like I have confidence. And this is something that's very real to me, something that I believe in that's been tested. And if someone wants to ask me about it, because presumably we're a Christian band being on Solid State Records, I'm happy to talk about it. So you write some of the some of the lyrics for some of the songs. So how much does your faith influence uh, your lyrics? I would say my faith influences everything I do in the same way that my worldview influences how, how I see other people and the way that my uh, life impacts the people around me, good or bad. So in other words, I can't really separate my faith from what I'm doing or thinking or saying at any point of the day. It's just sort of interwoven into who I am. When I sit down to write lyrics, oftentimes they're not very happy lyrics. Mm. They're frustrated and sad, or um, I, I, don't re- I don't get too angry. So there's not a, a whole lot of angry uh, lyrics. There's, there's a lot of hope-filled lyrics. And I think at the basis of all of those is, is my faith or mm. my worldview or, or my experience walking with God through pain and suffering walking with God through really, really amazing times. Um, and just this pendulum swinging as I go about, you know, being in this band, touring the world, meeting new people, seeing people of different faiths and, and values um, and belief systems. And so I, my faith's always, always changing, but my love for Jesus, I think, is just at the center of what, what I'm trying to do in my life and who I'm trying to be. And when I write lyrics, I think all of it comes from that same place, whether or not I intend for that to happen or not. Mm. So uh, typically when when people think about a tour, especially when they think of a tour with a Christian band, the presumption is that you are on tour with all Christian bands. And uh, that's that's probably typically not always the case, right? That's correct. Not always the case. (laughs) How does how does that work out? Like, because now you have conflicting worldviews, and obviously, mm-hmm. um, you guys aren't there to, to you know to to share worldviews all the time. But obviously, that must come up. So, mm-hmm. uh, h- how does that work out for you when when you meet up with these people, like you were speaking of, that have kind of conflicting worldviews? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always said that God put me in this band not so that I can tell people about God and tell them how to live, but so that other people can tell me more about God and how I should be living. Mm. And that most times um, that information is coming from people who do not believe in God, or if Mm. they do, it's, it's a, it's in a very apathetic, you know, agnostic way. Um, And I think the reason for the reason for that is that oftentimes throughout my life, I've realized how judgmental I was. I've realized how much I looked down my nose at other people because I was a Christian Mm. um, and because other people might not have been because other people were living a life that I felt like was wrong or whatever it may be. And over time, I realized, man, I am just a garbage human being who is just, you know, elevating myself above other people. And I realized that there there was a a much better way to live life um, as it pertains to loving other people. Because I found that people who didn't agree with me on my faith did a much better job of loving people around them than those that did agree with my faith um, and loving those, you know, around themselves. 
And that's sort of a general broad stroke, but that's been my experience in the music industry. So I started the band so that it was a, so that it could be a ministry. In the end, I realized that I needed the band and those in the music industry to be a ministry to me so that yeah. I could, <laughs> I could do a better job of, you know, of doing what God says we should be doing, which is loving other people. That's so awesome. oftentimes we're on tour with bands that are not, um, Christian, um, and it never really comes up because we become friends who have a common denominator of loving music and and any other variety of different things. And uh, faith faith is just the, a private a private matter altogether. Not th- it's not something we ever really have to talk about or or force. Hmm. There are at times conversations like, hey, you know, tell me about why you did that or why you said that or. Um, so you're Christian, you know, tell me about that, Mm. but that's way downstream. Um, a relationship always precedes someone's interest in, um, your faith or your religion. Mm. Um, because why would you want to know what someone believes unless you know who they are and and how their life looks? So, um, back in 2012, we, we had sort of a, a fight uh, as a band in the backstage of a dressing room in Australia. And we had to re-identify what we were doing as a band. Is this for God or are we a Christian band as we've been labeled for years? If we are, what does that even mean? Mm. And what we decided is that there is really no such thing as a Christian, as Christian music, because when you strum a C chord or you play a drum beat, it doesn't necessarily um, become a Christian or non-Christian <laughs> thing. So is it the lyrics? Well, how, how many times do you have to say God? Or what, what exactly do you have to say about Jesus in the song for it to be a Christian, mm. a Christian lyric? And we started to pull apart those nuances. And we realized for ourselves, at least, that we would rather err on the side of um, being a band who's doing our best to perform well, um, Tell, tell people that there is hope and that they're loved and accepted just the way that they are. And that our job is really just to play our instruments and write music that we're happy with at the end of the day. Mm. I realized afterwards, after getting over myself, because I was butthurt about it for a while, <laughs> um, that I would, rather, I would rather die and face God and him say, why didn't you use my name? in your band you you certainly could have you know you were you were doing something that i would consider to be christian you could have done that i would rather him say that than say than hear him say how dare you Mm. and i got i i remember the next day standing with jake the vocalist from my band and outside the hotel room on our balcony in Australia thinking like, dude, maybe we should just fly home and be done with this. Like this isn't a band that we recognize anymore. Mm. And we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And I think we both realized that, man, we would so much rather just be a professional band that does a good job being a band and do ministry or, you know, personal or our personal, you know, our personal dealings with people on the floor one-on-one rather than from a stage where we're just, you know, giving lip service to something that in the end, yikes, I got kind of scared thinking about mm. what God could say um, when he looks at our hearts, which of course is how he, he's going to judge us. Mm. 
So that for eight years, that's been the case. And it's, it's neat because my relationship with the other guys in the band has only improved for a while there. It was sort of, it was sort of deteriorating because what religion does is it, it kills, it kills your relationship with other people. Hmm. It, it segregates, it divides. And what a relationship will do that's rooted on love is bind together and draw closer and, uh, displace judgment altogether. And that's exactly what's happened. Our relationship as individuals has never been better. 100% never been better. Mm. And we are all completely different people, like all different walks of life, all different faiths and non-faiths. And I respect the crap out of the guys in my band. Um, they're some of the best people I've ever met in my life. Mm. And I don't know if they say the same thing about me, but I, I, I hope so. <laughs> right? Oh, if you listen to this, guys, you don't have to say anything. Yeah. Keep, it, keep it to yourself. My email is cheating. No, I'm just yeah. joking. Yeah. All right, well, I deserve it. Say, say whatever you want. I'll yeah, you. yeah. Well, let's take a couple minutes and, uh, and look at this passage. Now, what led me to uh, want to ask you about this passage in particular was... And seven, a song that you wrote, mm-hmm. and um, I heard an interview about, and uh, and like I said earlier, you know, it just you were preaching this, and um, you, you know, I could just hear authority all over this. I said that is beautiful, you know, that's that's where I really want to go with this. So I just want to read just a chunk of this, and because I'm reading just a small chunk from the middle, we're going to kind of have to build the context a little bit. But um, I'm just going to start Second Samuel chapter eleven, verses six to twenty-five. It says, "So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite." And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him with a present to the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all of his servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and his servants and my lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with his servants of his Lord, but he did not go to his own house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out to fight with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent to David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then, if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerushabeth? Did not the woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thethbez? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. 
So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us, and they came out against us in the field, but we drove them back into the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. So we have a lot of crazy stuff happening here. And this is a passage that's generally skipped over by a lot of people because we like to preach happy stories from the Bible. But what brings us to this point where David is calling out all of these orders and arranging this whole scenario? Man. Well, as it pertains to 30 and 7, well, do you know the story behind 30 and 7, uh, the, the title? Just from, it's, from, what I, from what I heard you say and, and from, what I, uh, from what I read, but, but go ahead. It's very funny. I, I wrote this lyric in my parents' basement, and I looked up the chapter and verse, and later on was asked, you know, what's 30 and 7 about? I was like, oh, it's, you know, <laughs> story of David. And, I was, and they're like, oh, okay, what does 30 and 7 mean? Oh, well, it's, you know. It's the chapter and verse, and I went to look it up. I'm like, there's not even a chapter 30, verse 7 anywhere in the Bible that has to do with David. What the, what was I doing? Where did I get that from? I still have no idea to this day. Boy. Maybe you could tell me. You're a pastor. I looked and looked and looked after I heard that interview. I couldn't find it. I know, right? Like, I think I just got the number wrong. <laughs> oh, man. Well... I'll let you. I'll let you talk about the. I'll let you talk about the. You know the hermeneutics, <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave that to you. But I'll just talk about how. You know, this verse was probably the beginning of me writing about things that convicted me and hopefully convicted other people, and they weren't just a message of like. Yeah, just positivity. You know, David totally misplaces authority because he has authority he takes his authority and misuses it he mm -hmm. usurps god's authority knowing that god had ordained you know this this marriage and you know david was not to take what was not his so he does and then he has to do all this stuff to kind of cover his tracks mm -hmm. so he shows a complete disregard for the life of another human being to hide his disregard for the life of another human being. Yeah, so I mean, the really cover-up is usually worse than the crime. Mm. This is another perfect example of that. Mm. And it, I, I don't know why God uses trash people to do things for his glory, but he does it all throughout the Bible. In fact, I was talking to a friend the other day about Job. Job seems to be one of the only people that I can think about, that I can think of, that God talks about as living a blameless life, you know, an upright man, and yet massive pain and suffering hit him like a tsunami and we mm. all know the story um about why that you know why that was and we're still talking about it to this day which of course gives reason to why it happened in the first place but um in the case of david he was a man after god's own heart but look at what he did with his life mm. <laughs> i mean how can this be and now flash forward fast forward to today and take and take a look at you know the news think about someone in the news who's done something terrible and we look at him, we say, oh my gosh, how can humans be so terrible? And then step back a second and say, well, wait a second. Let's look at any character in the Bible that 
notably that, that God pointed out and said, I love that man. That man is a man after my own heart. I'm going to use that, you know, that idiot to do what I, I need to be done. David's a perfect example of that. And after he commits this crime, he works to try to cover it up. And of course, it just creates more terrible, I mean, just terrible things are happening um, because he's, he's trying to save face. And yet ultimately, at the end of the day, he falls on his face and he realizes the extent of his sin. And the, the extent of your sin, the greater you understand how much of a debt that you owe when you see God and you realize his love for you, I think the greater extent um, you'll go through anything to follow him. Mm. And I think that might be part of the reason why I think God decides to use people who probably know how, how much depravity there is in their lives. Because when they catch a glimpse of God's hope and future for them, I don't think they are as willing to let go of it as someone who doesn't realize how much it costs. Mm. That's amazing. And it's, it's cool because in Matthew 1, you know, the little portion that everybody skips, uh, actually <laughs> God ends up using this union, which at the time brought much shame. Uh, he uses this union, and through that bloodline, he actually brings Messiah to us. So mm. it's really crazy because, wow. you know, like you that said, is. God can use these, these terrible situations for his glory, and we have no idea yeah. exactly what he's doing. So uh, that's, that's really, really cool. So thinking about that, you have a take in this song uh, mm-hmm. where, where you're talking about holding back the waters. Mm-hmm. What, what were you talking about there? Well, it's a good question. It was a long time ago. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let, me, let me look this up here because I want to have it in front of me. Okay. Okay, here we go. So um, I've talked about this before in lyrics. There's a, a very old song called um, Truth of a Liar, and I wrote about the lyric is something to the effect of shifting blame with a log in your eye, mm. insisting that a string tied to your limbs is what's to blame. Can you hold the water responsible for your wayward behavior? That's the lyric in this song 30 and 7 that we're talking about. And what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, unless you're willing to face your shortcomings, how utterly messed up you are, mm. and how you're really just like everyone else around you, um, you're, you're not going to find what you need mm. to get better. You're just going to cover it up. And we all know that. We all know that's true. But whenever something like this happens with David, it's just easier to tell a lie. It's easier to go to, honestly, great lengths to try to save face. Mm. But we can't continue to do that and get to any sort of destination that is, that is anything, mm. <laughs> anything beneficial to us or anyone else around us. The shortest way to salvation is to realize how much you need it. Mm. If you don't think you need it, then you won't find it. Mm. That is grace. You can't accept grace unless you realize you need grace. Mm. 
Otherwise, it's just something that is semantics, lip service, nice fuzzy feeling, but it's never going to mean anything to you because there's no cost. Years ago, there was a sermon by a pastor who I really loved, still love, haven't listened to in a while, Dr. Timothy Keller. Oh, yeah. He talked about, he talked about this, and I think the best way I've, I've ever heard. Let's say you come home, and there's a note sitting on your counter, and it says, Hello, I've paid your trash bill for the year. Um, signed, Anonymous. You would say, huh, that was so nice of that person. I hope one day I figure out who it is. <laughs> the, next, the next door neighbor finds a note that when they come home from, you know, from work and it says, hi, I've paid your mortgage. It's completely paid. You owe nothing on your home. Signed <laughs> anonymous. Their response would be, oh my gosh, how can that be that someone paid that sum of money for me? And they don't even want recognition for it. I have to find out who this is. Their next door neighbor has a note sitting on their table. They come home from work and it says, hi, I've paid your back taxes that were owed that we're going to send you to jail for the rest of your life. Mm. They're paid and there's nothing else to pay and you're not going to prison. You actually have a life. You've been given your life back to you. Mm. That person would presumably fall on the ground and not even, they wouldn't be able to contain themselves. The, the debt that was paid was too great. And if they ever were to find the person who paid it, they would do whatever it took to pay them back, even though they knew they would know there's nothing they could ever do to really do that effectively. Mm. That is probably a pretty good picture of what it looks like. And you can assume that the person that hasn't paid their trash bill isn't in a whole lot of trouble. So their response to it being paid isn't that great. The person in the middle... I mean, they're not in trouble, but it's something looming over their head and it stresses them out. Okay, it's paid. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. But the person who's committed a crime, that's a great crime, you know, a terrible crime. It's going, to, it's going to send them to prison for the rest of their lives. When they realize that that's paid for, there's nothing that will stop them from finding out who it is. And when they find that person, they'll, they will do whatever it takes to follow them. And in a sense, if it's in a Christian sense, worship them. Absolutely. That's, that's beautiful because it, it literally is. And we don't look at it, especially today, as a transition of authority. You know, this was, this was so much easier, you know, 200 years ago. You know, when you read some of these great sermons, like these guys were preaching that the Christian faith is a transition of authority. It is, it is no longer mine it is his. I'm giving him authority over my entire life. And it's grace that, that we are able to do that. You know, so that's, that's nothing on us. It's not because we're cool or because we're big or we're tough or we've done the right things. It's, it's God gives us his grace. So we really live in a society that just is, is so far off in their understanding of what true authority is. And we think today that to be a Christian simply means most of the time just to say some stuff you know to, mm-hmm. to say a prayer or to attend church when really it is a giving away of authority over our own lives god has the authority anyway it's just we mm-hmm. we're kind of like sitting thinking that we control everything but it's saying <laughs> hey, all these parts this is all yours and the amazing thing is looking at the bible we see again and again and again men struggle with that right? Mm-hmm. So David, 
man after God's own heart, struggles to give God authority over every single part of his life. Abraham struggles to give God authority over every part of his life. So that's encouraging. I mean, look at Paul. He, he knows what he's supposed to do. He's like, I can't do those things. You know, even mm-hmm. there, there's this struggle for authority. So today, we live in a society, I, do you see this, Matt, where it's just like, people are like, no, I'm the captain of my own soul. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm, I'm the boss of my life. I have complete control. Do you, do you see that quite a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think I do that. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like to be in control of my destiny, you know, <laughs> until, until I need help. And it's like, oh, man, I messed up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think um, well, I had a funeral this week for, mm. for a friend. Uh, he was 54. I was pretty close to him, kind of friends of the family. 54 years old, died of a sudden heart attack. I don't know why we need funerals to remind us how short life is and, and how much we really need to focus on what's actually important. Mm. But for some dumb reason, we do that, you know? We always wait till a funeral to be reminded of mm. what we need to change about ourselves, our relationships. And uh, that's exactly, I'm exactly the same way. I mean, that's, I always do that. Always, you hear about people buying a dog the next day after someone dies or a car, just going out and making this decision. Mm. I think we need pressure cookers like that in our lives to remind us that we we can't do this alone. Mm. We can't be in charge of ourselves. And I think a good a good indication of that is if um if you allow someone else to judge you, um, then someone else might say, "You're really good at you know Matt. You're really good at drums, and I'm going to get a big head, right?" Mm. Or someone else might say, man, you're terrible at drums, and I'm going to be completely deflated. Mm. If I put all my, if I put all, if I put every, if I put all my stock in what someone else says about me, if I put all the stock in what I say about myself, and I play a really good show, and I say, man, I'm, man, I'm good. Mm. If I play a really terrible show, I'm going to say, man, I'm terrible. And there's nothing that can pull me down if I need it or take me back up because I'm the one judging myself or someone else is judging me, depending on how I play that. However, if God is the one who judges us, which is what the Bible says is true, mm. and I believe it, then when we're high, when we're feeling good, the Bible's that to remind us that we need saving. Mm. And when we're low, the Bible's that to remind us that there's someone that can save us. Our and defender. I think that that, more than anything, is, is, is proof that we, we can't be in charge of, of running our own life because... There will be highs and there will be lows, and we're not going to be able to know how to handle it. Mm. And then, on the contrary, if we allow other people to do that, we're going to be destroyed potentially even more. Mm. But if we allow God to be in control of our lives, then when things are going well, so well, in fact, that we forget to pray or read our Bible or build a relationship with Him, we're going to, we're going to be reminded probably pretty quickly that you know, we're not as great as we think. And then when times get tough and we fall on our knees, we're going to be, we're going to be reminded that there's someone there to save us. Mm. That is so amazing. It, it, every single time I have this conversation with anyone, it always, you know, and we're thinking about what people are saying to us or about us. Yeah. I'm always reminded of that passage from Isaiah 1 where he says, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. You know, mm. we, we forget wow. that really these opinions that people have you know when when they devalue us or value us higher than they ought to 
really, yeah. I mean, as much as that might make us feel good or feel bad, it doesn't really matter. There's nothing lasting about that. Like we want to have good relationships and we want to have people who think well of us. You know, we want to have a good influence in this world. But in the end of the day, honestly, who are we trying to impress? You know, yeah. we want to impress the one true authority, you know, mm-hmm. and, and our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, we want to do our best that we possibly can for him. And that seems to be the real struggle in most Christians' lives is, you know, we, we place so much value on what people say. And like you said, you, it's it's what God says in his word about us. You know, it's, yeah. it's how God mm-hmm. feels about us. That is truly where we find our value, right? Hmm. I like that. Yeah, I never wow. heard that before. So, I, I don't know the Bible as well as you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people listen to your lyrics, they, they would think that you know the Bible you know, pretty, pretty well. I see a lot of that there. So, Matt... I just really appreciate this conversation. If people want to, you know, get yeah, a hold of you, okay. find out more about your ministry, the ministries you're involved in, what would be the best yeah. way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm not really involved in any ministries per se um, beyond these podcasts I do every once in a while. For mm. uh, I don't actually know that I've ever done one with a pastor. So that's pretty feel feel pretty honored. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, I think probably two ways. One. I have a podcast called Holy Ghost Notes. We talk about drums and God, thus the pun Holy Ghost Notes. Ghost <laughs> Notes is a drumming term. Um, and uh, probably just follow along with August Burns Red and my social media at Matthew Griner on Instagram. Um, I have a drumming website where it's basically Netflix of drum lessons. You pay 10 bucks a month and you get to learn August Burns Red songs. So thanks a lot for checking this out. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate it. I'm going to be praying for you and, and praying for what's ahead of you. Thank you so much. I mean a lot. I really appreciate it.